Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Game of Thrones 2 Electric Bookaloo. I'm your host, Anthony. We are wrapping up Season 5 of Electric Bookaloo. I include excerpts of my conversations with Aaron, Dr. Jan Doolittle Wilson, and I include a short conversation with Curtis Runstetler. That conversation has to do with medieval concepts of alchemy, which I had no idea where to put because alchemy is really not a major theme in this book. It becomes a theme much later in the books. But alchemy did have analogs in the season I covered with Steve. A word on my conversation with Aaron, we discuss a little bit of the last duel. I ought to say mild spoilers, but for the most part, there's no spoilers because I hadn't seen the film yet. So this is before I did my Cocoons of Horror review with Steve Osborne. You can search for Cocoons of Horror wherever you search for podcasts. Without further ado, here is Bosmang Aaron. I was also thinking, this is something I, you probably haven't seen because hardly anybody in America has seen this movie. Um, the Last Duel. I have not seen it yet, no. It's interesting because Matt Damon and Adam Driver play characters that I referred to in our review of them as like a... You know how like in if, if Hollywood makes an adaptation of a real life figure, they're almost always better looking, <laughs> more glamorous, sure. more well spoken, you know, yeah. like uh, they, they've got that. Like, imagine if you took that that telescope and looked at it through the back, the, the backwards way. So you take the so assume that, that Ned, the Sean Bean and uh, Nikolai are are the Hollywood versions and look backwards through the tube. And I swear mm. to Christ, that's what Matt Damon and Adam Driver are. These French knights, um, uh, uh. they they like uh, Matt Damon is very much like Ned Stark. If you took like what like 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 what other people say about Ned, you know, forget about what he says about himself. Other every everyone says that Ned is kind of like overly serious, can't take a joke, right? Stick in the mud obsessed with honor to almost a point of absurdity and insecurity. Yeah. And that is exactly the, the, the portrait that Matt Damon, uh, you know, this real life night. And then, huh. you know, Jamie Lannister, the kind of the playboy, uh, the, the womanizer, like, although I guess that doesn't really, he only womanizes his sister. Um, but doesn't take things seriously, but honest, but on, but on a, you know, maybe more fun to be around. And also maybe has a little bit more metal than you think on first hmm. uh, first blush. Um, also like Jamie, a rapist. Um, I, I just couldn't stop thinking about it. So if, if there's any you know, Game really of Thrones funny. fans out there, I would love to know what people's perspective. If you go out yeah. and see this 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 movie, just think about in terms of like this is Ned 
This is Ned and and uh, Jamie, if real people. That's interesting to me because I've seen Adam Driver play a lot of really sort of serious, no nonsense kind of men, and I've seen oh, yeah. I've seen Matt Damon play a lot of shit face grin, wisecracking guys. Sure. So this this seems to set them in reverse. Yeah, there is a little, little bit of that. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing right, it now because I want to see. I kind of have a man crush on Adam Driver. I, I feel like I need to. I need to see this version of him. He's dreamy. He's real. He's kind of a monster in this film. But like, yeah, just watch how many times like uh, Matt Damon. Look how many times he like lets just gets tripped over honor. Mm. Like completely mm. makes an ass of himself. Destroys political alliances and just because of what his not not even like a universal concept of honor, but like the way he sees it. You know, and I just thought that was uh, I kept on thinking that because like Ned, like, again, gets up. Lannisters are preparing for war. Oh, those silly, deluded Lannisters. Don't they know that I'm the hero and I'm going to win? A uh, message comes. Rinley has split. He has hit the hills. Huh. That's odd. I was kind of counting on his swords, but, you know, oh, well, everything's going to be fine when Stannis shows up and, like every single mm. time. He, you know, he's, he can't he can't even get to this thing without leaning on, on Littlefinger. It's just uh, he's so and, and like how he thinks he's so shrewd, too. There's a scene where he's trying to, like, keep the whole truth of the Regency and stuff from the small council. And he's like, oh, this need for the seats leaving such a bitter taste right. in my mouth. But yeah, right. boy, I, it's just it's a small price to be playing the game this well and at this level. I'm like, oh, Ned. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. I'm glad you brought up Jamie. I was kind of wondering this reread. I was thinking, isn't it weird that Jamie isn't in the throne room? Like, I know that he's fled the city, and for good reason, yeah. right? We're going to actually have he's an recalled altercation. recalled by his father, right? I think so. But here yeah. we have, in the throne room, an altercation. And Cersei and Joffrey and Marcella are all there. Doesn't it seem more like Jamie's character to, like, come back and stand by their side you know, his own danger be damned, you know, his own safety be damned. It it seems a little bit like it, it, that's a lot. Like, I don't that's think a lot to leave absent. Yeah. And I, I don't know whether Martin will turn the corner with Jamie or not. But like in the books, he's a completely disinterested father. Like they, sure. they added that yeah. the dimension to him in the series. So I don't get think he gives a shit about Marcella or Joffrey or but like. But Cersei the one thing, leaving, the one thing in the world he cares about is he would he would Cersei. definitely wage war the you know war for Cersei's uh, birth canal for sure. Um, but I I do wonder like, I, I, is that the correct sequence of events? Because like I I thought maybe that um, uh, his dad had recalled him getting together an invasion, impending invasion. Yeah. Uh, once Robert was was fallen sick, because that's clearly the the Lannisters plan. And then, you know, he it just kind of got then then he just got, got, got caught, caught out. Did they describe him as fleeing the city? Yeah, he well, he had fled the city right after his altercation with Ned in the street. Oh, I guess right. The other thing about right. this that I probably should keep in mind is that, mm. you know, maybe Tywin's shadow is over this whole thing. And right. so if Tywin's shadow is over the whole thing, then Tywin is already gathering for war. Right. And so, of course, he wants Jamie with him. If it was up to Jamie, I think Jamie would be in the room. Mm-hmm. Um, also, you know, it could just be like, hey, man, it takes takes two days to get from <laughs> one place to the next. Uh, yeah. You know, you don't have like season eight jetpacks yet in the show. 
Because it did seem like Cersei was like, again, if you take her at her word at this later conversation where she's reflecting about Ned almost beat her if it hadn't been for Sansa, like it made it, it seemed like maybe the uh, Lannisters might have underestimated Ned a bit too, that they would have thought, you know, like uh, he wouldn't have taken these steps to prepare for treachery before, like he would have just been like, okay, well, you know, I got to wait till Robert's dead to do anything. And, you know, maybe they may misunderestimated him as well. And now a short excerpt of my longer conversation with Jan Doolittle Wilson. But if you think about the other two alternatives, right? It was basically Ned, Robert, or or John Aaron. Do you right. think John Aaron would have been a good king? More than I Ned. Mean, yeah, probably probably better than either those other two. We just don't know a lot about him though, right? The more I learn about him, the more I think he wasn't the sharpest knife in the drawer. <laughs> he he certainly underestimated the Lannisters. He underestimated the Lannisters. Robert beggars the realm. He puts the realm in debt <laughs> to Tywin. And somehow, I mean, you can't do that without Robert Arn sort of knowing that it's happening. And whether he, or not he's like protesting or whatever, he's the hand of the king. He's supposed to rein Robert yeah. in. That's not supposed to happen. Yeah. And he's the one that tells Robert to marry Cersei. That that was a horrible decision. Uh, yeah. Um, and then, of course, you and know. And to give Tywin that much access and power to the yeah. kingdom. And then Jamie's in the yeah. King's Guard. I mean, it's just, wow. Yeah. He doesn't do right by Lysa, at least from that from her point of view. He right. Doesn't do right by her. So I don't know. I, maybe there's not a, a great, you know, this is just the problem with power. <laughs> <laughs> It's like if you're, it's if your system of, of power only of... works if the, a saint with a certain amount of power and a certain amount of nobility and a certain narrative to the throne, it, it, the perfect alchemy to make you know this leader. If you, if your system of government only works if that can happen, oh, there's just going to be so many flawed men who take advantage of that. And that's kind of one of the biggest themes of the series, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's this idea of who who is what what form of government is best is it the system of might is right are, are we going for a new system where does daenerys fit into this mm-hmm. um it's you know it, it's all set up here from the very beginning and you're right once robert dies game on i mean game had right. already started but once robert dies shoo, right that vacuum and then suddenly the convert the plays for power and the forces are yeah. you've got how many different sigils from the Baratheon house now, right? You've right. got within even the same house, you've got these plays for power. And um, you know, it's, what's interesting to me is that immediately previous Viserys dies. Yes. The and golden so crown, uh-huh. right. So you've got the usurper Robert and you know, the last dragon and this whole thing is set up like, you know, these are the two guys who have the best claim to the throne. And within a space of, what, 10 pages, they're both dead. They're both dead. That's a good point. Yep, they're both gone. It's not like Viserys is much of a vacuum either. He was also kind of a zero. But now but all of these other... But if you believe that Robert is the usurper, right. he is the next in That's line. Right. That's right. And all Regardless of a sudden... of what you think about him, and he's awful, but All still... of these political minds are thinking, well, now's my chance. Mm-hmm. And it all, you know, so they all kind of converge. You know, Robert's 
a giant nothing in his life. And, and in the end, he becomes the biggest vacuum that you could imagine. Yeah. So. And it depends on what you think of as legitimacy in this world, right? So we just talked about the idea that sometimes legitimacy to the throne is just who is the biggest guy, who is the strongest warrior. Right. But there's also so much stock in this world put into blood. Well, right? and that's why so Robert gets it lineage. in anyway, right? Yeah. Robert has some sort of link to the Targaryens like way, way back in the day. That's so they right. think that that he's sort of the most palatable. It's such a significant turn in the story. Transition, yeah, yep. huge transition. Nothing's the same after this. Uh-huh. I also think that there might be a tiny little hint at, at Lord of the Rings here. Mm. Um, Littlefinger says he's got this great line that he says, "The power is yours. Mm. All you need to do is reach out and grab it." Yeah. In Tolkien's worlds. If you can resist that, then you've won. You know, whether mm-hmm. you live or die, you've won because you've passed the test. Yeah. You didn't grasp for the ring of power. So the hero of the story is the person who can resist the ring of power, right? Right. In this world, it's a little different. It could be that Ned can't take Renly's offer. He can't take Littlefinger's advice because it looks so nakedly gross to him. Yeah. It's like reaching out for the the one ring and becoming a dark lord. It's just that's not who Ned is, right? It's not and really. yet reaching out for power is probably the best thing Ned could have done at this point. Yes. So it's this yes. weird thing where this isn't Tolkien's word. You're not going to be rewarded for not reaching out for the power. In fact, you might die because you couldn't do it. And if I can throw in another analogy, again, Harry Potter's on the brain. Yeah. I keep thinking about this line from Harry Potter. Apologies to the listeners who aren't Harry Potter people, but one of the the, the major themes of that series is power, right? And and Dumbledore yeah. says to Harry so many times, those who are um, those who want power the most are least suited to it. And I kept thinking about that as I read this chapter. And in terms of, you know, Ned doesn't want the power. He he doesn't want that role at all. Yeah. But yet, would he be suited to sit the throne? No, <laughs> he would he would be a terrible ruler yeah. and prove to be a terrible ruler in many ways, much like Robert. Right. Um, well, we've Robert seen it already. Ruler. Right. He was in the throne room, <laughs> and you know he decides, okay, we're gonna have to track down the mountain and bring him to justice. Ah. <sighs> And he's he really, you know, Varys is saying, you know what? There's a way to do this. Uh, and you seem to be doing it the wrong way. But, you know, it's probably, you know, we'll see what happens. But you know it because Varys is saying it. You know it was a bad decision. <laughs> yes, yes. So, yeah, he's that, not a great ruler, for sure. Not a great ruler. You know, I, I wrote this in my notes. Robert, great warrior, terrible king. Yeah. Ned, great person, terrible politician. You know, yeah. the, the two don't always go hand in hand. Just because you're a good person does not mean you should be in this highest echelon of power. Mm-hmm. Um, even if you don't intend to use the power to benefit yourself, it's still not you know, a a position you should be in because you don't make decisions. You don't make the hard decisions. You're not able to make the hard decisions Mm. that do dip into deceit and lies and treachery uh, for the greater good, right? For this idea of, well, I have to play the game on this level to benefit this kind of greater concept. Mm. Ned's just not, he's going to do what he thinks is right in the most immediate context and again, he's not thinking on that level of, okay, 10 chess moves down the road. What will this doing the right thing now 
would it create even greater harm later? That's mm-hmm. just not how he thinks at all. Yeah. And even Varys, who, you know, I think Varys is right when he says to that, I'm thinking about the kingdom. You know, even Varys says, well, yeah, we should go kill Daenerys. I hate it. <laughs> it's a mm-hmm. terrible, terrible, terrible thing. But, you know, in the long run, this is what we should do. You know, Varys is able to think on that level. Ned just, no, you're killing a child. You're killing a child's child. No. Yeah. No. Jan, as always, it's lovely to talk with you. and um, So much fun. I learned so much uh, in our conversations. Thanks, Anthony. Always a pleasure. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. I include a short excerpt of my longer conversation with Dr. Curtis Runstedler. Curtis teaches in Germany, but he got his dissertation where I did, University of Durham in England. And he wrote his dissertation about alchemy, but relative to poetic representations of alchemy. This is probably the nerdiest conversation you'll ever listen to. What was your dissertation topic at Durham? I'm curious. So I looked at uh, alchemy in Middle English poetry in the 14th and 15th century. And I was looking at uh, how these poems containing alchemy or alchemical poems could be read as exemplary narratives. So how they were used to kind of make moral points about uh, alchemical practice and the validation of the practice. So I started off with more well-known tales. So I looked at Chaucer's Canon's Yeoman's Tale and the Canterbury Tales, and then uh, an alchemical exegesis in um, in uh, John Gower's Confessio Mantis, that was the 14th century poem as well. He was a friend of Chaucer. And then I started looking at more kind of obst- obscure stuff. So I looked at a, an alchemical version of uh, John Lydgate's uh, The Churl and the Bird, uh, which was written in the 15th century. And I looked at some other manuscripts. There was a manuscript at Cambridge, and it was between uh, Merlin and Morianus. And it was more kind of Christian um, allegory for al- alchemical practice. So the father and son, so obviously very religious uh poem. And I also looked at another alchemical dialogue between um, Albertus Magnus, who was a uh, alchemist in the, uh, he was actually Thomas Aquinas's teacher as well too. And he has a dialogue with the Queen of Elves. They talk about alchemy too, but it's it's also, an, you can have an allegorical reading of it as well too. So I looked at all, how all these poems are kind of uh, exemplary in nature and the kind of implications for that. So it was a lot of fun to write about. Mm. Now, 15th century. So, I mean, was there ever a time that alchemy was sort of viewed as mainstream or was it always kind of looked on with suspicion? Well, actually, you know, it it was always kind of looked on with suspicion. But even, you know, um, they had these kind of prohibitions against, I think, one of the popes, Pope John the uh, 22nd had a prohibition against alchemy, but he wasn't a very popular pope. So I think people still practice it anyway. I think uh, uh, 
Uh, Henry the, the the sixth also had kind of prohibitions against alchemy, but uh, you know they had a lot of these alchemists or a lot of these kind of physicians trying to link mm-hmm. it to medicine too, and trying to kind of get petitions to practice alchemy. Obviously, they were never successful with it, but sometimes they come up with cool stuff along the way, or you wouldn't hear about their <laughs> experiments at all. So it was always kind of controversial. It was always kind of being banned, but um, at the same time, I think there was always this dual side to it. You know, one hand too, it could kind of eliminate poverty. Uh, you know. There was a lot of medicinal benefits to it, uh, theoretically, but on the other hand, could, it was so dangerous too, it was very expensive and, you know, nobody really knew if it worked or not. So, um, <laughs> I mean, famously sort of the lead into golds kind of thing was mm-hmm. sort of like this, I don't know, the epitome of what alchemy could do, right? Or the, the most Absolutely. aspirational thing that alchemy could do. But of course, alchemy yeah. was, I mean, the practice itself had a wider spectrum. Absolutely. So that was the main uh, goal was the uh, transmutation of base metals, so lead or tin into gold or silver. Um, but there's also another goal too, which was the uh, uh, elixir vitae, so elixir of life too. So a, an elixir that was meant to kind of prolong your life. In the Western, uh, in Western alchemy, we see more of the kind of first goal. But it, it, as we go into the Renaissance too, we have uh, Paracelsus, the batshit <laughs> crazy Swiss alchemist <laughs> that has more medicinal aspects. And then we have the kind of homunculus too. But yeah, speaking of like medieval alchemy, it's mostly those two goals, I would say. Yeah. Right. And of course, we see this sort of as the inspiration for the Harry Potter series, really. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's it, they actually have Nicholas Flamel too. So Nicholas Flamel was, uh, I think he's this kind of pseudonymous figure too. But in the 17th century, they had this resurgence of uh, kind of alchemical texts too in the 18th century. Um, and I think they had they attributed to Nicholas Flamel. So he wrote this treatise on the Philosopher's Stone, which we know is probably pseudonymous, but uh, that's a lot of case too. They'll have the, these kind of famous historical figures attributed to this text, you know, Thomas Aquinas or Albertus Magnus. But I mean, they didn't actually write these alchemical texts. But yeah, that's where we get Nicholas Flamel from, who we have in Harry Potter. And even though yeah. they don't show him, and it, it's interesting too, because it kind of, because in the Middle Ages, the late Middle Ages, I mean, you needed a moral practitioner too. They had to kind of have this kind of uh, ordinal of alchemy. Whereas we see, you know, Quirrell and, and Voldemort, as, as as hard as they try, they can't get it because they're just greedy and unscrupulous. That's why they can't see it in the mirror of Erised, whereas Harry Potter is actually able to get the, the Philosopher's Stone. And I think what's interesting about Harry Potter, too, is that, you know, alchemy actually works in, in that world. You know, she's actually able to uh, hold, <laughs> hold the Philosopher's Stone in his head in his hand and it's symbolic of the the final alchemical stage too so there's four alchemical stages mm. and the rubedo stage is the the reddening stage and we see actually the red philosopher's stone so um, nicholas Flamel was successful after all <laughs> <laughs> my thanks again to curtis and jan and aaron and now steve and i wrap up season five with a little bit of retrospective and some meta conversation okay so we're wrapping up season five now and at this point, you may be interested to know, all of these plot lines are now moving beyond the book material. Okay. And we, we ended up getting our first confirmed book spoiler. So in the books, Shireen does not become a human sacrifice. Um, she's, she's left at the wall. Okay. But once this happened and everyone freaked out, George Martin was asked, hey, what the heck? And he says, actually, that actually that's going to happen in the books. So he confirmed Uh that this is going to happen, but it hasn't happened yet in the books. Basically, all of these storylines for all of our favorite characters are now going to be moving beyond all of the book content. Well, and but Martin's still a part of all this process to some level, right? I mean, he's like a consultant. Well, he was a producer. And then this year, 
if I remember correctly, he had a little falling out with the other producers of the show, with the showrunners. So the showrunner, there was a lot of worry that, okay, Martin's not really in the fold anymore. Season five wasn't up to our, our expectations. And on top of that, you know, we don't like what happened with Sansa, not in the books. With Shireen, not in the books. You know, that kind of thing. And I think that there was this general concern that the show was going downhill. Mm-hmm. Uh, c- can these showrunners live up to what they were able to produce with the book content to follow? And I think, I don't, I, I don't think it's going to be a surprise to you to learn that actually they did pretty well with season six. That's what I've heard. People I've heard were season pretty six happy is, with season six. In the sense that season five is consensus, like, if not the worst season, it's like a bottom two. Yeah, yeah. Six, six, oftentimes, it seems like people have maybe up as number one. Yeah, I think I mean, a I lot of people the, would put, like, season one, four, and six pretty high. And, and right. it generally, it, it probably gets top two billing. Well, so that's so that that's kind of exciting. And here's the thing, and and this is this is actually, and maybe time will tell. But I'm like, if five is considered pretty lowly regarded, and I liked it. I mean, I sure. there's a lot of. I mean, like some there's some really great things that happen in this season, and where the narrative goes, I'm really satisfied with. I don't. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm very satisfied with with where we are at the moment. It gives me a little bit of hope for the overall how I'm going to view this series in its entirety. Well, a little I'll bit. encourage a little hope, but I will not encourage a lot of hope. But I will say okay. that I think you'll enjoy season six for sure. Okay. Yeah, there's one other thing. I th- Oh, so I think it had to do with like the, the book concept. So the, with the Shireen thing, like so even if Martin's not a consultant, there was um, plenty of conversation prior and during so i'm sure that that the showrunners have a pretty good handle on a lot of things so even if they're not getting real-time consultation they have a lot of ideas already that martin may have shared with what's going to happen i think that the, the word on the street has always been that he gave benioff and weiss a general outline because they were like look we love your books they're not done but we kind of need to build to an ending here uh, we need to foreshadow and all this business. So we're going to need a general outline of how this thing is going to wrap up. And he said, well, I'm going to have the books done. So don't worry about that. But here's here's a general outline. And so he created a general outline for them based on his notion of where the books will go, at least what his notion was 10 years ago or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I think and then once the series wrapped up, he did confirm. He's like, yeah, a lot of it basically follows the outline. And then some of it doesn't. So, you know. And he also reserves the right to change it because he's just got a focus group. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> if if He that just matters. got the world's biggest focus group. Now, here's this has been my, my suggestion that I've had for years. So let's say you're Martin and, like, you get some bad diagnosis. And you're like, yeah, I'm not going to be around for long long enough to finish these books. I would go out and I would tap five different authors that I really respect, like Stephen King and company, and say, all of you write your own version of this. And so then instead of like reading the final one final ending, I get to read like five different versions of Game of Thrones. 
and it's sort of becomes more like it, it starts to mimic the idea of lore. Yeah, right? yeah, exactly. Instead of the four gospels, it's the five gospels. And it's like, well, actually, I like the way King does this better than I like the way Silva does that. That'd be great. So now are you rooting for death? Uh, not rooting for death. I'd love for George to live forever. I love him. And at the same time, I'm a little angry. All right. All right, so let's go back to the War of the Five Kings predictions again, right? Yeah, man, I was thinking about that this morning. So I don't uh, think Stannis is going to win. Idea. Stannis's odds have decreased dramatically. Rob's have not improved since last we saw mm-hmm, him. Mm-hmm. Um, right, Joffrey. Is it- Joffrey, Joffrey is still purple face, as far as we know. <laughs> as far as we know, he's grotesque. He is still choking, actually. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> He's still just bleeding out the nose on the floor of the wedding. It's, it's uh, a reception. really slow Dornish poison. <laughs> even, <laughs> even like the high sparrows had to step over him a little, a few times. It's like, yeah, this is the one time I wish I had shoes. Uh, yeah, so I would imagine that we're going to return to Lord Greyjoy. Yeah, I figured, season. well, I guess he's got the advantage. <laughs> By being alive still. He's got the advantage by being alive. And Theon has now, I don't know, like left Reek behind? Or, I mean. So his his plot is still, I mean, it's still a live possibility, in other words. It's a possibility, but this guy, even if Reek returns to Theon, I I still think he's more Reek than Theon at this point in in time, right? I mean. I mean, because there's actually less Theon than there used to be. There is a lot less Theon. So, all right. So back to the these five kings. Your your stance was always probably Joffrey because of Tyrion, right? Right. We can basically transfer that onto Danny now, right? Right. And the Joffrey is now just, you could just say the house of whatever's left of Lannister. That's right. That's right. So you've got, you've got. Da- oh, what what are Danny's assets? Well, she's kind of lost the city. Right. She's got a big dragon she's, she's riding and she, around. And she's she's got three dragons, one that she's riding around, one that, that seems wounded. She's still got a pretty a couple pretty decent armies and she's got both Tyrion well, the and army, the ass. Yeah, and the armies, but the armies have been pretty damaged, right? I mean, I don't know how many did they lost in the Sons of the Harpy. Uh, well, I rebellion. think that that's part of my I think it's a little crazy, but you think how come there weren't like just on twenty un, uh, twenty score unsullied, unsullied. Yeah. around her in that pit? That to me, that's like ugh, so. I didn't. I didn't think a lot of unsullied died during that event because because there wasn't very many unsullied there. Yeah. So why number one? Why not have more there? Number two. Well, anyway. So her assets are: she's got armies. She's got at least one dragon that she can kind of control. And uh, she's got Varys and Tyrion, right? Right. So I think that she's got to be the odds-on favorite, too. Yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, it does feel like, I mean, I I don't know what Greyjoy could provide, right? So but now we got to put in the, the House of Bolton, right? Well, let me just give you a little, like, in the books, this hasn't happened yet, but you get the sense that Danny can't control the dragons, and this is a big problem. And in addition to that is she's got these armies, but she doesn't have a massive amount of ships yet. Mm-hmm. 
Well, what happens in the books that unfortunately doesn't happen in the show is that there's this side plot with this uh, Greyjoy that we haven't met yet. And he finds this magic horn that's supposed to be able to bend the will of dragons. He's got this magic horn. He's going to go and he's going to propose to Danny, bring the ships, bring his magic horn with him. And there, maybe you'll see a little alliance between the Greyjoys and Danny. Interesting. Unfortunately, the show doesn't really do that um, with the magic horn and all that business. But okay. anyway, you haven't seen the last of the Greyjoys, just so you know. But Danny's got, I guess all that, all that is to say is that Danny's got, I think, more assets than other contenders at this point. Sure. Um, and with I mean, other... Cersei does have Frankincense Monster. Right. Flash, with Darth other Vader. contenders starting to like kind of disappear. Right. Um, well, I mean, again, this all assumes that Danny gets out of whatever horde situation she's in. Are we to assume these are Dothrakis? I think so, yeah. These are okay. these are the these sword, are death rack, the sword yeah, seems right. similar, so I'm like, <laughs> so my initial thought is like, oh, good, more Danny with Dothraki. <laughs> yeah, the Dothraki. It, it feels it feels a little bit like, well, we've strayed from the books. What worked uh, before? Danny and Dothrakis. Oh, we'll do that again. Right. I think, but I think that I think that maybe you're giving this a little bit of short shrift here because well i very was patient a, a lot of narratives and i feel like it every time it's like patience 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 dragons patience 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 dragons right no, <laughs> so no, i'm no, like that's right that's i'm like all right you know you did it you did it to me again <laughs> you got me with this <laughs> and i'm like oh let me see if i can let's see well let me my, just remind uh, you i just get my calculator out Ooh, episode nine or ten <laughs> i will take the point of a privilege here to remind you so much of danny's character was parlayed off of dothraki culture mm-hmm. a lot of she got introduced as so much so that for the first three seasons most fans just called her khaleesi right Sure. Khaleesi sure. just means queen in Dothraki. Yeah, I think I referred to her. Yeah, because that because I think Jorah kept on Khaleesi. That's right, and so that's so much part of her identity that it almost feels like if they don't bring a, that a back to it, yeah, almost if uh, don't forget where you came from. Like this might be a a, a reboot for her to some degree because yeah. she's in, in a bit of a, a bind, and there there was definitely some you know some advantages she gained from that. Yeah, I get it. I guess I just, well, and, and when we first met, if her, I got to see her walk through the desert one more time, dude, if when we first met her, she was being sold as sort of this slave, you know, child bride or whatever, but she was basically a slave to the Dothraki and look mm-hmm. at all she's gained in these last five seasons. And yet at the end of season five, guess what? She's a slave to yeah, the yeah. Dothraki. Yeah, so yeah, I like I, I I'm I'm interested. I, I I'd like to see. What I'm happens. cautiously optimistic, but like I said, if there is a nine episode march through the desert to get back to Marine, only to find a dragon again or whatever, I'm, I'm, <laughs> like this to me is is a bigger deal than the red wedding. Or <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Tyrion sort of advising Danny, and now Davos is up at the wall. Yeah. Stannis is gone. 
but Mel is at the wall now. That's interesting, right? So you have Davos and Mel at the wall. And you got to um, imagine there's going to be some kind of reckoning for Mel, right? You would, you would, yeah, you have to assume so. But also, I don't know what's, what's Mel? What is her, what's her sitch, right? I mean, so she's like, she's, she's, look, man, she can birth smoke, baby. She's clearly dealing with the supernatural, right? So. Yeah, but does she know as much as she thinks she knows? Because my, th- my feeling is, okay, what did you really see in the fire? You might have seen a battle in the snow. Well, check. We, we saw that. Right. You thought you you saw yourself on the battlements of Winterfell. Well, okay, but clearly Stannis isn't going to be with you if that's going right. to happen. And you know that there's a big battle with the White Walkers, probably. All right, so that yeah, that's probably still going to happen. But you're kind of connecting these dots in a way that makes sense to you. But are you should you have this much certainty about the way you're connecting dots? Well, but it is, and that's and that is, I think, uh, a fascinating critique on religion, yeah, right? It, exactly. it doesn't throw it doesn't throw out the possibility of the supernatural, but what it does is it says the supernatural can be complicated by human interpretation. Or, I mean, let's just imagine that. I mean, this is a Martin's created a world where like the seasons can last, you know, fifty years or whatever. Like mm-hmm. winter can last 50 years. So the laws of nature are a little bit different in this world. So it could be that she's tapped into some kind of law of nature, some sort of cosmic force or something. And she's she's basically interpreted it with religious eyes. Right. But in reality, you know, she's kind of playing with some sort of power she doesn't quite understand. Right. And so that's one thing that's interesting to me is like, is she returning deflated? Is she returning mm-hmm. like, okay, I gotta, I gotta regroup and reinterpret or, or what? Or, I mean, she looked pretty just <laughs> like, well, I guess not. <laughs> you know, it just, and so you have Davos, who's, I mean, now Davos doesn't really understand exactly everything that went down, right? I mean, that's, I mean, he just knows, I think he got the gist that, they didn't make it, right? Well, that's a good Or at least Shireen. Question. Right, like he knows Shireen didn't make it. Or does he? I don't know what he knows and what he doesn't know because he was sort of trying to get John. He was basically, earlier in the episode, he was trying to get John to like, you know, bring bring the Wild Lane army down and help me fight, right? Right, because he's still going. But then when, but when Mel comes back, is there any... We don't have, we don't see that encounter yet. So that's the encounter that we're waiting for, right? Okay, so because I didn't know if he just if he saw her come back and was like, "Well, shit, it's over." Yeah, I don't I don't remember very well how that went. I might out. be I might be putting too much into Davos's interpretation of that, but like I don't know if if I'm him, and basically everything with Stannis has been a choice between him and Melisandre. Yeah, to see Melisandre alone seems pretty ominous, right? Like, <laughs> it can't be can't be good. <laughs> Right. I mean, you're you were the one. <laughs> you're the you're 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 the magic. Why is the magic here? <laughs> so I mean, yeah. Who knows? I mean, I'm not exactly sure where he's at with that, but I don't think he, I don't think he feels good. <laughs> he can't. He can't but like, yeah. So but so Davos is there. She's there. There's no Stannis army, and that's it. I mean, that's what you got. And and you now you have obvious. Uh, 
there's got to be some division on the wall, right? I mean, I have to think that Jon Snow, I mean, we know Jon Snow has friends. He may have less friends than he has mm. enemies in the wall, but like, so, so they're both, I mean, what a weird uh, collection at this point. You have a, a split in the wall that regardless of how you view Thorn and the wildlings, they killed the Lord Commander. They killed the Lord Commander. That's not going to make them very popular with a few, a lot of the Night's Watch. However, there's like 50 left, and I don't know how many yeah. wildlings came, but it had to be like hundreds, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And what are they going to do? I mean, it's not like they have any power anymore, right? The wildlings are just going to run roughshod of them. That's true. Um, but yeah, so now, but you know, it's it's a, that complicates things on so many levels, and then and then you add on top of it. Okay, well now you've got Davos and and Mel, and you're like, well, are they going to join forces somehow? Like, is this going to be the new buddy <laughs> buddy pairing, the unlikely duo, or is she buddies between who? <laughs> Davos and and Melisandre. Yeah, yeah, they're they're the unlikely pair that are thrown together, and. Uh... You know, antics ensue. Now, I will, as we wrap up, I'm going to throw a hot take at you, Steve, that I've never uttered before. Oh boy. But I just want you to consider this possibility. Uh, Danny's, you know, big black dragon is named Drogon. Mm-hmm. Maybe Drogon sucks. Oh. Maybe he just sucks. I mean, he flies into the pit. <laughs> he burns people alive, but then he kind of gets distracted, and then he gets a bunch of air, you know, spears in him. Spears, yeah. Flies away, takes Danny out in the middle of nowhere, and then just kind of like just pouts, pouts, broods a little bit, goes to sleep, doesn't get <laughs> Danny any food. She's trying to get him to do what she wants him to do, and he's just like, no, nah, I think I'm just going to hang out here. And we kind of learned that he sucks. Well, does he? I mean, he's, I mean he, here's the thing. He's a dragon. Yeah, he's Dragon's a dragon. Dragon's going to dragon, dude. Dragons are going to dragon. So you've you know, got you know a dragon. When you say that about someone, it you normally means that in some way that they suck. <laughs> Well, the thing is, is they may suck, but they may suck by nature. So, so to judge it, it's like saying that cat is a terrible driver. <laughs> like, like Tunsis, the driving cat. Like that's the whole lesson. Like that was the whole lesson with Tunsis, right? I mean, sure, you were amazed that the cat could drive, but you should never be surprised that it was going to crash. <laughs> yeah, but he he was doing so well for a little while there. This, well, that's the thing. Drogon is like, yeah, you need people burned alive. Get a dragon. You want something to yell at you? Get a dragon. You want to see something fly really rad? Get a dragon. You want something to obey your every command and get you food? Get a butler. <laughs> well, okay, so so Drogon <laughs> sucks as a as a butler. As terrible butler. Pretty pretty solid dragon. So I'd like to see a Mr. Belvedere reboot with Drogon. Oh, see that'd be great. Everyone's looking to him for like some sort of sage advice and he just sets them on fire. <laughs> It's a new family every episode. Every episode, it's the same thing. You're just like, oh, no. Little Billy is experimenting with marijuana. (laughs) (laughs) 
It'll be a few weeks before Steve and I get together to watch season six. But if you miss us, you can tune into our new podcast, Perfect Stranger Things. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. For this week's Bird's Eye View, I'll say a few things about chivalry, which has been a season five theme. About three months back, I got a nice email from a fellow named Donnie. Donnie writes, Something I've been curious about and hoped you could expand on is how one became a knight in olden times. As far as Game of Thrones perspective, it seems like most knights need some combination of knighthood, like a prestigious house, training, squiring, a connection, you know other knights or lords, etc. I was hoping that you and your esteemed colleagues could compare and contrast the steps toward knighthood in both Our World and A Song of Ice and Fire. Thanks. Donnie, I hope that this season has been useful to you. I'll just recap some of the things that I learned this season, and maybe you learned along with me. We learned from Elio Garcia that in Martin's world, a knight or king must perform the knighthood ceremony. This may or may not involve a septon and the religious ceremony of being anointed, etc., etc. Elio pointed out to us that in the So Spake Martin archive, Germ has confirmed that the greater the person performing the ceremony, the more prestigious the knighthood. So, for example, Barris and Selmy, having been knighted by a king, will rise higher and faster than someone like Duncan the Tall, who was knighted by some guy no one's ever heard of. We learned from Carol Parrish Jameson that this parallels medieval history pretty well. Prestige of one's family, social location, wealth, etc. were all factors in dubbing. The concept of knighthood was married to specific knightly codes, and while these were modeled in part after monastic codes, the office was secular at the start. Later they took on religious significance, and this was fortified further during the Crusades. Also in common, both Martin's world and medieval Europe had ideals of knighthood, and then varying levels of lesser knights depending on circumstance. Jameson also pointed out that the ideals of knightly codes were aspirational from the start. As such, it is difficult for knights to live up to these codes in the real world. Two key reasons are, number one, knights were flawed men, and two, the codes sometimes harbored internal contradictions. There are, however, a few differences between the Knights of Ice and Fire and the real Knights of History. First, in Jameson's email to me, she writes... Medieval chivalric manuals make very clear that only certain individuals are fit for knighthood. So I don't know that Davos, the Onion Knight, would have been so easily dubbed in reality. End quote. She notes that sometimes lower class folks could buy their way into the upper classes. But this isn't quite what happens with Davos. Another difference between real and fantastic worlds... Martin seems to have pushed together several different iterations of knighthood from varying regions and different eras. Lastly, in real life trial by combat, the champions were supposed to be equals. I mentioned this in my coverage of The Last Duel with Steve. 
But to clarify, a duel between someone like Braun, the free rider, and Sir Vardis Egan wouldn't have been allowed by the ideals of chivalry. Also, for the same reason, the battle between Beric and Sandor wouldn't have been seen as equitable. So, thank you for your email, Donnie. And just to reiterate, book at baldmove.com, without a doubt, your emails improve the content of this podcast. This is all stuff I didn't know before this season started. So do please keep the questions and feedback coming. I'll be taking a couple weeks off between seasons here. If you're looking to get caught up, we will start again with Chapter 50 next we record. And that is all for this week.